What a powerful name it is. Thank you so much for leading us in that. Good morning. It is good to be with you guys today. I um, am hoping that as you guys have joined with us in a time of prayer and fasting, that your first two weeks have been good, been powerful, have been insightful. For many of us, I know it has been hard. Um, as you may be able to tell, I am fasting from shaving. Not really. I'm fasting from other things. I just decided to see how much beard I could grow in 21 days. So, But we would love to hear your real stories of what God is doing in your life through fasting um, in the last two weeks and through this time of prayer. So if you, if you, if you think about it, just jot us a note. It's, a, it's amazing the stories that we have heard, and it's powerful. And we have seven more days, um, and we will break fast with breakfast on Easter Sunday, and that will be an exciting time. We are... Um, in our series on spiritual disciplines, today we are talking about the spiritual discipline of serving. Serving. And now serving is not this. And it's not this. And it's not even this. But it's really more like this. Spiritual disciplines, as we have told you over and over again in the last few weeks... Spiritual disciplines are those practices that are found in Scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe it is fitting today that we talk about the spiritual discipline of serving on Palm Sunday. We just sung about the powerful name of Jesus, but today we're really focusing in many ways on the humility and the humbleness of Jesus and what that means for us as his followers. Palm Sunday, as Ryan mentioned, is the day that we, as in, in, in the church, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Days before he would be arrested and sentenced to die on a cross for our sins. And it's fitting that we talk about serving on this day because Jesus provides us our example in serving. And Jesus provides us our calling to serve. And in his death and resurrection, we find both our power for serving and we find the reason that we serve. We serve the Lord and we are part of his kingdom work because of the magnitude of what we have received through Jesus' sacrifice. And yet even though serving should be one of those things that is a natural outflow of our relationship with God through Jesus... There's also a discipline component because even when our hearts desire to serve God, our flesh still pulls us towards selfishness and towards pride and even towards laziness. Serving, like all of the spiritual disciplines that we will talk about, has the power to draw us closer to God and to allow us to grow in grace and to grow in purpose and to grow into what it means that we follow Christ. But unlike all the other spiritual disciplines, serving might get you dirty. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful as we stand here today, as we contemplate what we will celebrate this week, as we sing those songs that just remind us of what an absolute miracle it is that we have the opportunity to be in relationship with you. We are grateful today for the opportunity to come freely into this place, to open your word And to talk about what it means to serve. To serve like you served. To serve as a life. As a lifestyle and not just an action. God, I pray you would bless this time. I pray you would, as has already happened during the worship, as we get into your word, as we continue this service, God, I pray you would open and soften our hearts to the magnitude of what we have received through your sacrifice. And that that reality would change us. We love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus himself spoke a lot about serving. 
Most often, he spoke about it to his disciples who were always jockeying for positions of honor and for prestige and for authority. They were constantly going, am I the greatest? Or I am, I am the greatest? Or who's going to be the greatest? Or who's going to sit here? Or who's going to get to sit there? And Jesus was continuously telling them, the first will be last. The least will be the greatest. And I think there's a truth that sometimes as Christ followers... That we can forget that what we are called to as Christians is incredibly costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his amazing book, The Cost of Discipleship, said this. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. If you look at what Jesus said to anyone who said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And that's what people said to him. Nobody said, hey, sign me up for heaven. I'll see you on the other side. They said, I want to follow you. And Jesus always said, yes, follow me. And by the way, to follow me means that you die to all, that you leave all, that you endure all, and that you serve all. Nothing in God's word describes Christianity as any, in any way other than total surrender. And I think the problem is, is that while we acknowledge and receive the fact that our salvation is free, that grace is free, instead of just looking at our salvation as free, we have made it cheap. And nobody gives their life for something cheap. We will celebrate later this week and next weekend that, that Jesus paid a great, Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. It was a price that transformed our lives, that gives us security, that provides us with a new identity that, that is higher and more authoritative in our life than any other identity that we may have. And when we really get what we have received from Jesus, when we realize I have received a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe... We want to dig into his word. We want to pray. We want to give all these things we've been talking about. And and we no longer require or respond to guilt-based service for the kingdom. But we joyfully serve because we have been radically loved. We have been radically saved. And we have been radically served by Jesus. Serving as with the other spiritual disciplines changes our lives because it aligns us and it connects us with Christ. So there are so many passages in God's word on serving, not just from Jesus, but from throughout God's word. There are passages on serving and I'm going to mention many of them today. But for our text, I have chosen a passage from Philippians. Um, If you would turn there and if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word. We are going to be in Philippians 2. Philippians is in the New Testament. It's after First and Second Corinthians. It's after Galatians. It's after Ephesians. It is before Colossians and all of the T-books. So if you find the T-books, hang a left and you'll get to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. I think this passage tells us much about Christian service. 
The first thing I think it tells us and what Paul tells the Philippians here is what Christian service is. Number one, Christian service is a lifestyle. Look at what Paul is saying here. What he's doing is he is instructing the Philippians on how they are to live their lives as believers in Jesus Christ. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul essentially says, Your life as a Christ follower is no longer about you, primarily. It is about everyone else. Do nothing. Nothing. Not do some things. Not most things. Not spiritual things. But do no things. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others as more important than yourself. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Jesus tells us the same thing, although he says it more bluntly in Mark 9. After one of those times when the disciples were trying to figure out who is the greatest, Jesus sits them down and in verse 35 he said this, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of of all. And then just one chapter later in Mark 10, the dense disciples ask the exact same question again. If I wasn't so dense, I would look down on them. But they ask again, who will be the greatest? And Jesus says this, even stronger words this time. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in Philippians, Paul wasn't telling the Philippians something he wasn't willing to own himself. In, in 1 Corinthians 9.19, he said this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. This idea of a lifestyle of service is the basis for First SF's core value. This is our sixth core value, and it says this. We mobilize people to sacrificially live every aspect of their lives with purpose for the cause of Christ. This is challenging, is it not? Sometimes I think for us as Christians, we just want to make sure that we have a service compartment in our lives. We just want to make sure maybe that we, we, we are serving only in those areas that we find enjoyable or we serve very narrowly or we take a spiritual gift assessment and we only serve in those areas where we are apparently spiritually gifted or we only serve where we have extra time or we only serve on Sundays. And certainly sometimes this is how things work out. Sometimes we do serve in those areas that we truly love. Sometimes we serve in those areas where we are gifted. But as the magnitude of our salvation sinks in, we begin to see the truth of our actual calling, which is this. We simply serve where there is a need. Our salvation, as it transforms us, opens our eyes to see needs that we may have never even seen before. And it opens and softens our hearts to have a compassion and a willingness to step into a need and to help meet it. Sometimes we think of service as just limited jobs or positions to fill. I think that local church service is vital for a believer. I believe that every believer should have a place of service in the local church, but a service lifestyle should also go beyond Sundays. It's your lifestyle. And sometimes we miss some of the different ways of serving because we're so narrow in what we look at as service. You can serve in your lifestyle by simply making yourself available to listen to people. You can serve through hospitality. You can serve by bearing someone's burdens. You can serve by bearing someone's sorrows. You can serve by sharing truth with somebody. Maybe the gospel to an unbeliever. Maybe a reminder of the gospel or the truth of God's word to someone who knows Christ but has fallen by the wayside. You can even serve through allowing yourself to be served which there are a lot of people who need to work 
on that one. We are able to sustainably live a lifestyle of service only through the power of the Holy Spirit and only if we truly keep our minds focused on the why. If we do not understand what Jesus did for us on the cross, this sort of life will never be worth it. And it will never make sense for us. But as we contemplate the way Jesus served us, all of our complaints fall by the wayside. He came to serve all. And he calls us to follow him in a lifestyle of service. That leads us to the second thing we see from this passage, how we serve. Number two, we are called to serve like Jesus served. And I immediately thought of those WWJD bracelets from the 1990s. They just never go away. But Paul tells us here, he says, have the mind of Christ, which you have in Christ Jesus. You can have this mindset. Be like him. And in verse 5, we see what that means. It means that we let go of our rights. It says, Jesus gave up all of his rights as God and he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That seems so dramatic for us. How can that apply to us? And plus, does God not know that we are Americans? We fight for our rights. We don't lay them down. But what it means is that we serve by emptying ourselves like Jesus did. By giving up our rights for the sake of others. And we don't just expect others to serve us. It means we don't serve for recognition or we don't serve for praise. It means we don't quit serving because someone doesn't seem to appreciate us. This goes back to what Paul said at the beginning of this passage. We don't do anything out of selfish ambition. It means we don't serve to earn something from God. In fact, quite the opposite is what happens when we serve. We serve out of a gratitude for what we have already received from God. We don't serve to pat ourselves on the back. We don't serve to get someone else to pat us on the back. And we don't serve to build some sort of false identity that is based on our serving. I want to dig into this a little bit because I think this is a big deal in the church. First, let me just say this. A humble, self-sacrificing lifestyle of service does not mean that you never say no. It does not mean that you do everything. It does not mean that you neglect at all costs the other things that God has given you responsibility over. It doesn't mean that you fail to monitor and safeguard your physical health or your spiritual health. In fact, Paul says, look out for the other interests as you're looking out for your own. But what it does mean is this, just like Ryan talked about last week when he talked about giving. What it means is that, with, with, that we hold our time loosely. Just like Ryan said, we hold our money and our things loosely. We hold our time loosely. We see our time as something that is less ours to guard and more ours to give. It means that your service is not about your gain or about your guilt. If service is done to gain something for yourself or if it is done out of some sense of guilt or coercion... Things will always go south in your service. So serving is work. So there's, there's a tiredness that will come from serving. And we all know there's a good tiredness that comes from serving. But if you are going at this for something that you hope to gain or because somebody has pressured you into it, it won't be tiredness. It'll be a sense of futile exhaustion. South, southward service looks often like bitterness. And it looks like regret and it looks like exhaustion because you are seeking something in that service that God did not design that service to provide for you. If through your service you find your value or you find your identity, that means you are serving out of your brokenness rather than out of your newness as a follower of Jesus. I see this so often in the church. 
People using service as a way to build or to support a false identity that is based on that service. The church is an easy place for this to happen because we are often in need of people to serve. And here's a little honest statement. People who are trying to earn something or prove something through their service can be very easy volunteers to tap into. And because of that, the church can be guilty of enabling a sort of behavior that is ultimately harmful for both the person and harmful for the church. We see this sometimes. I see people who are serving out of this deep, deep desire to feel needed. Feeling needed is different than seeing a need and being available to meet that need. It is dangerous if your identity is wrapped up in feeling needed. You see it when people serve because they want to feel valuable or they want to show people their gifts or their talents or they want to feel important. And I'm talking about this because I think it is so easy for all of us to end up here. It's easy for me to end up here. I've struggled my whole life with the desire to be accepted and to be affirmed. And I'm aware of that. And I work to keep that in check between me and God. And when I am in a healthy place, I stand up here and I preach the word of God to honor him and to honor his word alone. But if I'm in an unhealthy place, I will preach so that you guys will like it. Or that so you will like me. And when that happens, I'm, I'm, I'm paving the way for burnout and disillusionment and frustration. And it's the same for you if you're serving with those motives. I have to be vigilant to keep that sort of attitude from creeping into my service. We've seen this in the church. We, when we change things around and we no longer have a volunteer need that we had before. And someone has been meeting that need for a long time. And they don't just mourn the loss of the service, but that makes them feel worthless or use without use or value to our church. We see it sometimes when the church grows healthier. We have more people contributing to the whole, whereas before things made or broke on one person. And now we're spread out and we're, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. We're becoming a fully functioning body. But yet people get frustrated because they aren't getting to do what they did before. They don't feel like what they're doing now is as important as it was before. Oftentimes they grow angry and they grow demanding. We've had people leave the church over that very thing. If someone's role is changed or taken away and they get angry, that anger shows that in their service they have somehow found an identity. And that's not who we are as Christ followers. Our identity is what is to fuel our service. Our identity as saved men and women. As sons and daughters of the king. This doesn't mean that our service should be drudgery. That we shouldn't like it. uh, That we don't find joy in serving. Of course, we find joy doing whatever we're doing when we're doing it for someone else. It just means that the focus of our serving should be on God. And not on how the serving makes us feel. A humble, Christ-like heart serves simply to meet a need. Not to stroke an ego. Not to feed an identity. But so that, as Paul said, we will all grow into a functioning body together. And even if you serve in part, so part of it is like, I'm serving the Lord, but it's also in part for your own self-gain, you will not end up moving closer to Christ via that service. You will still end up exhausted and still end up frustrated. And you might just realize that you're even further from God than when you started. I think this is such an issue in the church. And I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, for whom Am I serving? Why am I serving? If you serve to feel better about yourself, to gain something for yourself because it makes you feel needed or to make someone else happy or to get in good with the pastor, you need to ask yourself, for whom am I serving? Because if you're doing those other things, 
You are serving for yourself. If this is you, and I honestly think it is most of us at some level, if this is you, I challenge you. Confess whatever's going on in your heart. Maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's one of these desires we've talked about to be needed or admired or appreciated to prove your value to God or to prove your value to to someone here. Confess that to God. Take it and ask him to grow in you a true understanding of who you are in Christ. You are not valuable because you serve here. You are valuable because he made you valuable. Ask God to show you what it means to serve out of what you have gained rather than serving for what you hope to gain. Paul reminds us in this passage that we have Christ dwelling in us, and as a result, we have the power to live out the selflessness that he has called us to. Jesus had the ultimate power. He was fully, he had fully divine power, and he chose to give that up along with his rights and status and position to serve us. And Christ in us will empower us to to give up our rights, our privileges, our status. And we do this in deference to others who might not always appreciate our service and our sacrifice, just as many do not appreciate Christ's sacrifice for them. And that leads us into the last thing Paul has for us in this passage, the reason we serve. We serve to reflect the gospel and to glorify God. We serve in the church for many minor end goals, many things that are important that we hope to achieve through service. But no matter what those goals are, all service is ultimately for God's glory. Paul lays this out beautifully. He describes Jesus's humility and service to mankind as he highlights Jesus's obedience. When he highlights Jesus's obedience, he challenges our obedience. He was obedient to the point of death on a cross. And then he says in verse nine, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and upon earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Peter also speaks powerfully to this in first Peter four, 10 and 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God is often glorified through the foolish things of the world and our attitude and lifestyle of humble service that goes contrary to what culture leads and directs us to do that attitude Our growth in a life that reflects Christ's love, all of that reflects Christ to the world and brings him glory. I think we can see this when we see such servant superstars, right? Like Mother Teresa's and Billy Graham's. But that should really be all of us, not a select super few spiritual giants. It should be all of us. It is in our service to others that our flesh, our sin, our struggle with who we were is mortified, where it dies. I love what Paul said in Galatians 5.13. He reminds us that because we are free in Christ, it can lead us to kind of ignore the grace that saved us and live in our flesh. But you know how he says to stop that? He says, you can avoid living in the flesh this way, through love, serve one another. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet at the Last Supper, an act which was, by the way, incredibly humble, the most humble of all acts, it was low and it was dirty. Jesus reminded the students, reminded his disciples that students are not above their teacher. And he said in John 10, 15, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. He modeled for us what it means to serve humbly and for the sake of serving Not to serve to earn or gain something from man or for yourselves. When we follow his example in serving, we make him known and he is glorified. And that is a glorious thing. 
As I move towards a conclusion this morning, I want to say a bit about serving here at First SF. Serving God is clearly not just in the local church, but we are called to work together as a functioning body. And God has set up the local church really to have the most vital role in the world for reaching the world with the gospel. But contrary to what you might think here, our desire at First Josep is not just to fill volunteer slots. Our desire is that your hearts would be so filled with Christ that joy and humility would compel you to serve. We don't even call our people who serve here volunteers. We do that intentionally. Any organization can have volunteers. But we are not just any organization. And Christ followers are different than any regular volunteer. We are not just serving to help a cause. We are serving the Lord in his cause. And we call all of you who serve here, we call you servant leaders. And that is more than just semantics. Servant leaders reflects an overflow of service and life commitment to Christ that flows out of what Christ has done for you. There's some, I want you to think about some of these distinctives that I see between volunteering and between servant leadership. And where do you fall in this? Volunteers are recruited, but servant leaders are called. Volunteers give spare time to a cause or an organization. Servant leaders devote their entire lives to serving a common master. Volunteers ask, how much will this cost me? What am I required to give? Servant leaders say, I'll give everything. What do you need? Volunteers ask, am I done? Servant leaders listen for, well done, good and faithful servant. Volunteers fill a slot. Servant leaders are an integral part of the body. Volunteers base volunteer opportunities on convenience. Servant leaders operate at a mode of self-sacrifice. Volunteers worry about their own interests. Servant leaders always look first to the interests of others. We know at First SF that forced service breeds hypocrisy. And we would never intentionally work to guilt or force anyone to serve at First SF. But the truth is that guilt should never be necessary. Joyful service is something that flows out of a growing understanding of who God is, of what God has done, of who you are in him and how we respond to him with our whole lives. Joyful service should be directly proportional to your growth in Christ. We don't retire from serving God. I've been thinking about a study I did many years ago. It was the study that actually prompted me to leave my law practice and move into full-time ministry. It was called Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby wrote the study, and one thing that he said in that study has stuck with me all these years. He said, if you want to experience God, if you want to truly grow closer to him in intimacy and for him to be real in your life, if you really want to experience God, he said, look for where God is at work and join him there. And you know what? My friends, God is at work in the city of San Francisco and in First SF. This past year has been a year of us, Stephanie and I, just seeing how many intentional believers there are in this city. People who see that the gospel is the only thing that will solve the problems of this world and who are intentionally serving God and serving the people of San Francisco for the cause of Christ. And one of the best things about being a pastor here is that I get to hear story after story after story of how God is using this place to change people's lives from little kids all the way up to senior adults. Look for where God is at work and join him there. There's nothing more thrilling than being right in the middle of God at work. Simply serving, doing your part for no reason other than to see God glorified and made known. For some of you this morning, the next step is for the first time maybe to commit to a regular place of service just right here at First SF. 
For some of you, it is to broaden your service beyond just what you do here into what it means to have a lifestyle of service. For some of you, your act of serving is good, but you know that you have a heart issue that needs to be surrendered to God for his transformation. For all of us this morning, I believe God is calling us to a renewed focus on why we serve out of our awareness of the awesomeness of what we have received. We cannot forget our great why. Why do we serve? Because we have been given the most valuable of gifts. And how can we move through life focused on ourselves without doing everything we can to share it? I love this old hymn. I'm going to read these words for you. This morning I listened to it on a run the other day. I probably looked like I was having a seizure. The words of it just powerfully impacted my body. My hands were going everywhere. Crazy. I prayed after that. God, help me have that same sense of what you've done for me. Every minute of my life. This old hymn. Listen to these words. It's called, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Long, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Till thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon filled with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine, alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim my crown through Christ my own. We are all called to be servant leaders, giving our lives to lead people to love and live for Jesus. Donald Whitney said this, the gospel change in a believer's heart is instant, but not complete. A servant's heart, which was created by grace, must be cultivated by spirit-filled discipline or our growth in grace will be stunted. Intentionally look for where God is at work. Join him there. Let's grow and labor together for the kingdom. And as it says in Psalm 100, verse 2, let's serve the Lord together with gladness. Let's pray. God, when we contemplate what we have received in you, all the demands that we make on you and on other people, our expectations of people to serve us, the protections we put over the gifts you have given us, including the gifts of our time and our money and our resources and our spiritual gifts. God, all of those seem so ridiculous when compared to what you have given us. God, I pray you would work in us hearts of service. God, that what you've done for us would compel us to lay aside our rights and to serve your people, and the people that you love. God, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. And is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of? Thanks, brother. 